Father, we come before you asking for your divine intervention, for we know that the carnal nature cannot understand or apprehend the things of God, but only in our spirits may we gain understanding and insight. We would ask that you would do that for us this morning, Lord, and we are asking according to your will, for we do know this is your will that we grow up and become mature. So help us to understand your word as it goes forth. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we saw previously that Paul was dealing with the issue of freedom. And after laying out the differences under the law as opposed to being out from under the law, Paul begins to talk about freedom in the section that we're located. And freedom, contrary to what some people think, is not being able to do whatever you want. For instance, in our Constitution, we have freedom of speech. But I think all of you know you can't go into a crowded theater and yell fire when there is no fire. You can be incarcerated for that and you can be prosecuted. But we are some of the most free people on the face of the earth that has ever existed. True freedom is having the ability to choose to choose this or to not choose that, to choose a destiny. If you're uh, younger, you would say, well, I'm going to go to school or I'm going to get a job and I'm going to choose what I want to do. Uh, You could choose a school to go to. You can choose a diet. You can choose exercise or not to exercise. You can choose a religion and you can even choose a spouse. I don't think there are too many shotgun weddings going on anymore. You have that ability to choose or to not choose. And as I say that, inherently in this ability to choose is the ability not to choose something. You don't have to take something that somebody gives you. An individual who is truly free will be able to deny options set before them. This is the characteristic of freedom. You have the freedom to say no to something. When someone was under the law, circumcision was not an option. You couldn't fill out a form and say, well, I'm opting out of this one. It was required if you were going to be under the law to be circumcised. When someone was under the law, sacrificing was not an option. You had to sacrifice in order to have atonement for your sins. If anyone were to seek forgiveness, a blood sacrifice would have to be offered. You could not get forgiveness any other way outside or inside of the law. Outside, there is no forgiveness offered whatsoever. A diet was not an option under the law. There were a variety of foods that were to be avoided. Uh, For instance, did you know you can eat grasshoppers if you want to? You can also eat a katydid. So next time you see a katydid in your garden, just go ahead and pluck off the legs and pop it right in there, and you'll see if it was good to eat or not good to eat. Down in Mexico, there used to be some missionaries, and they'd bring up some little grasshoppers, and they were called chupalinis. And the chupalinis were usually dipped in a brine and hot sauce type solution. And you'd take them out. And if you think you'd like something like potato chips, well, it's like that. You pop those in your mouth and you chew a little bit, pull out a leg here or there, and and you would enjoy the grasshoppers. And that's actually what John the Baptist ate. 
Now, over at the Historical Society over here, where the old Presbyterian church is, there, I think there's only one left, but there were these carob trees. You guys know what carob is, right? It's like a substitute for chocolate, although you still have all the sugar in there. And the carob pods used to be, well, when they were on there, they were probably a foot long. They were quite long. And you couldn't take them and just chew on them. You'd break your teeth. They'd have to grind these carob pods into a powder then they'd add sugar with that and they'd make it into a chocolate substitute and some and and some people know this about the tree that the tree is called a locust tree some people misinterpret the scripture say john the baptist ate chocolate or ate locust pods no he ate the real insect is what he ate and because they're a little bitter what did he dip them in honey he put them in honey and he'd stick them in his mouth. That's what he ate. It's lawful to eat those things. You couldn't have a camel. You couldn't eat pork of any kind. But you could eat anything that had a cloven hoof and chewed the cud. So diet was not an option under the law. There were other things that were not options as well. If you wanted to be part of the covenant people, there were certain washings that the priest had to go through. They had undergarments that they had to wear in a specific priestly garment. Aaron's garment, once he died, was to be taken to give it to a next generation of kids that would come up and be the high priest. And those specific clothing garments were designated for those who would carry out the sacrifices as well as the high priest. Tithing was not an option in the church today. I don't believe tithing is for today. I believe giving is for today. But the Old Testament, it was 23 and a third percent. And I've explained that to most all of you here. It's not just 10%. There was 10%, 10%, and every third year he gave another 10%. So it works out to 23 and a third percent. And I don't want to go into all that detail, but you had to do that. If you didn't do that, you were tithing. And if you decided you wanted to borrow some of that tithe, then you had to pay back at a rate of 20% is what you had to give back to the Lord. So... Uh, tithing was not an option. There was also the observances of the feast. Now, there are three feasts that the Jewish men had to go up to Jerusalem every single year and observe these. There was Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Those three feasts, the men had to go and worship in the Temple Mount area. Then there were also uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, Trumpets, and the Day of Atonement. So you had to keep all of those feasts. Now, for us, we have birthdays, anniversaries, we have Christmas, we have uh, New Year's, uh, Easter, those types of things. And we look forward to those. Well, the Jewish community would look forward to those, but there were so many things that they had to do. You know, if we if we get together for uh, Easter or Resurrection Day celebration, usually people bring over food if you're a family or and you'll have some special meal. Well, imagine bringing a whole sheep and you had to sacrifice the sheep or a goat or doves and you had to carry those all the way to Jerusalem. Or you could go to the temple and this is why Jesus cleared out the temple is because they had money changers. First, you had to change your money to the temple court money. Then once you did that, then you could buy a temple recommend sacrifice over here because they examine your sacrifice they'd find something wrong with it and they'd take that out back and they'd make you buy a new model and they'd take that new model out and they'd sacrifice that one take yours out the back and eventually after you left they'd bring that one in and they'd offer that one for sale it was just a racket and that's why Jesus got so uptight about that and and so there were these sacrifices that had to be made now using some comparisons in everyday life there are certain things that we must do in order to 
to stay alive. Like we have to sleep, we have to eat, we have to drink. If we do those things, we're going to stay alive. So we really don't have an option, but those are pretty much the limits of what we have to do in this life besides die and pay taxes. Of course, you know the old adage. Now, if if these things are necessary for us to have life, uh, for the most part, but as a choice, we can determine when we're going to do those, right? You can determine if you're going to stay up late, if you're going to go to bed, if you're going to eat a lot, or if you're going to eat a little, or what you eat. So there is even freedom in those necessary choices that we have. But let's take another example. For a person who is truly addicted to drugs and alcohol, there are few options available. Now, I'm in the context of freedom here. Once a person is hooked on these substances, there's a physical, mental, and I believe a spiritual component that needs to continue the addiction. This is illustrated in Proverbs chapter 23 that I told you to turn to earlier, beginning in verse 31. It talks about wine. It says, Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly, a little bit less tannic acid, that type of thing. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind imagine confusing things and you will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I am not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. And when I wake up, or when will I wake up so I can find another drink? So there's this tendency, if you're an alcoholic, you can't wait to get up so you can go find another drink. Now, this person is not free. They have been consumed or taken captive by the alcoholic beverage. Does that make all alcoholic beverages sinful? No, it doesn't. It's the idea that they have been captured by that. So an alcoholic is always seeking after the next drink. They are not free to say no. No is not an option. A true alcoholic will go through withdrawals and the body will demand that they go find another drink in order to prevent the onset of withdrawals. Same thing with drug addiction. A person hooked on heroin, methamphetamines, or opioids becomes a slave to those substances. And usually the body builds up a tolerance and you have to take a little more and a little more and a little more. And pretty soon you take so much that the breathing and the heart just stops and it does not continue. That's what happened to Michael Jackson. He died in that fashion and several others in the entertainment industry fall to this. So it's interesting that marijuana is being legalized by several states when this substance is so damaging in its effects, especially on those who are young. And I know that there are people that have or maybe even now come to church and they smoke marijuana. Uh, they they feel they need it for, quote, medicinal purposes. I used to know an alcoholic that would say that. They'd pull it out and say, I need this for medicinal purposes. Well, I don't know if you knew this, but a daily use of one to three marijuana cigarettes or joints appears to produce approximately the same lung damage and potential cancer risk as smoking five times as many cigarettes. I bet you didn't know that. And when I was doing a search 
on the uh, marijuana and its effects and what it does uh, to the body. There are so many things that are so much worse than cigarette smoking. I don't know if you know who Dennis Prigger is. But every once in a while, I'll tune into him. I like his Prager U videos. They're five-minute videos, and, and they're great to listen to. There's a lot of wisdom in there. He's not a believer. He's a Jew. Uh, he denies Jesus Christ, but he still has a lot of wisdom. You know, if there's a saying that all truth is God's truth, but not all truth is in the Bible. I don't know if you've heard that. And like the truth of science, science is not in the Bible really to speak of the specifics of it. And so this this marijuana, you know, the carcinogens that are in there, there's this one carcinogen called benzopyrene. It's a chemical in tobacco that causes lung cancer. An average marijuana cigarette contains 50% more of this chemical. And kids are given this now on a regular basis, you know, when it becomes free, or not free, but when it becomes legal, a lot of kids get it for free. And a youth that begins daily use of marijuana at age 16 will develop premature aging of the brain and the development of the lobe and the prefrontal cortex is permanently altered. Now, I don't know if you know about this, but the front part of the brain is where the decision-making process, the self-control, all of that is right up front. And I've read several studies on this that it doesn't actually mature until about age 25. And there are people who do research in this and say, no, it's probably closer to 30. And so kids making decisions, you know, how old do you have to be to be uh, president of the United States? You guys know 35. Why is that? Their ability to make decisions properly. That's why that has been set there. They even recognized that a couple hundred years ago that you don't have the ability to really make good decisions until you get a little older. That's why we're supposed to rely on those who are older than us to give us wisdom, to give us insight and not shun them as the current uh, media does, shuns everyone who is old and doesn't listen to them and only listens to the young people who are out there. And, And so this prefrontal cortex, what they have found out through the use of marijuana is, you know, the lobes that develop in your brain, they become deeper over time and things start to differentiate and you're able to make these cognitive decisions. Well, if somebody like a 16-year-old starts smoking every day, one to three joints a day, and there are people that are like this, there are kids that are like this, those lobes tend not to develop as deeply and the gray matter is kind of a white type of matter and their ability to make decisions and have self-control can disappear. It may be small or it may be large, but it disappears for their entire life. It doesn't come back. And when I was doing research about this, you'd go to the pro pot uh, websites and they would talk about, well, yeah, there can be potentially uh, some side effects to your brain if you smoke pot, but here's all the things you can take to try to prevent that. And I'm sorry, if your brain is damaged, there's nothing that's going to restore it. It's kind of like in my industry, the agricultural industry, 
when a plant has something wrong and you want to stop whatever it is that's destroying the plant, like if it's a fungus, a rhizoctonia or wire stem disease, something like that, if it's taking out the plant, you can treat it with some type of fungus, like a fungicide, like a dacanil or something like that, if you can still get it. And what will happen is it will stop the fungus, but it will not repair the damage. And that's what pot does. Pot does damage and there's no, uh, one of the lists on the list was take lavender. It will help your brain. Well, it won't repair the damage that has already been done to your brain. If your brain's going to repair itself, it's not going to be because of something that you ingest. It's not going to renew your mind, so to speak. And so this idea that it's being made uh, available to those who are younger, what's it going to do? to the cognitive abilities of those who smoke it every day over the next 30 years. What's going to happen to the population in the United States who are not able to make a decision? They are not free, really, to choose what is good and what is bad. That's one of the things, you've heard the commercials, why do you think they call it dope? It's because it, it makes you stupid, is what it does. And they've known this for 200 years over in India, They have different names for it over there, but they understand that. And yet we're making it available to everybody. And there is this propaganda machine out there that wants to enslave people with the marijuana. And I want to tell you, smoking marijuana, unless you're dying, it's sinful. And drinking alcohol to excess. And if you get drunk... I just recently saw again this video of this guy who walked into a convenience store and thought he was going to buy a 12-pack. And he walked in and his head was like a foot or two feet back from his torso as he is walking in. And he thought he was maintaining as he is, he's walking in. And then he gets, he gets to the refrigerator doors and he tries to open them. He tries about six times to get to the doors and he can't even get to the doors. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy is under the influence of alcohol. He is out of control. He is not in control. He is not free to move the way he wants. What ends up happening to the guy is he lays down on the floor and he can't get up. You see him trying to get up and he breathes real heavy. He puts the 12 pack to the side and he's trying to get up. And then the store finally notices that he's on the ground there and they try talking to him. They're not touching the guy. You know, they don't want any lawsuits. But then he just leaves the beer there there, and he reaches over for the door and he tries to pull himself up and he finally gets up and then he, he goes for the beer but then he falls into the shelves once he reaches for the beer and he eventually makes it out after dropping things all over the place and he, he gets out the doors. The guy was clearly not in control. He was not free at that point. Now let's make some other comparisons here. Those who have a sinful nature... If that sinful nature is in control, they are unable to say no to sin. That's their nature. That's what they do. That anyone who has a sinful nature. Now, we still all have the sinful nature. And the sinful nature, it is opposed to us, as we will see. Imagine if you have 
somebody just like you, but they're a little shorter. They are ornery as can be, and their arms are folded, and they're scowling at you, and they say, I want it now. And you have to turn to them, and you have to say, stop it. Not only do you have to say stop it to that fallen nature, but Scripture tells us we have to crucify that guy or that gal. We have to actually take them and say, no, you won't. And you put them down on the cross and you nail them to the cross is what you do. And then the sinful nature wants to resurrect. It comes right back up and it's me again. And you have to fight against the spirit of Chucky, so to speak. I don't know if you're familiar with who that is. But just is in opposition all the time to you and what you want to do. And that means if you give into that, then you are not free. That sinful nature becomes the taskmaster. Now, those who have a spiritual life given to them in Christ are able to say no to sin. Those who do not have the born-again experience where they accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, confess Him with their mouth, believe in their heart, if they don't do that, then they're under the control of the sinful nature and they are not free whatsoever. And this relates to the law. You're not free under the law. You're not free under the sinful nature. Both of those things were true. Now turn over to Romans chapter 7 and verse 14. You have heard me mention this particular part of scripture several times. After that, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and I'm going to read some of the similar type things there. But in Romans chapter 7... Beginning in verse 14, it says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Verse 15 says of chapter 7, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good, because the law points out sin. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature for I have the desire to do what is good but I cannot carry it out and for what I do I is not the good I want to do no the evil I do not want to do this I keep on doing now if I do what I do not want to do it is no longer I who do it but it is sin living in me that does it so we have this conflict going back and forth and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 Beginning in verse 24, we see what Paul does, what action he takes to try to combat this. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat, or in the King James, I buffet my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. How much effort does he have to put into subduing the sinful nature? He says he beats it up. He he actually, you know, if you use the metaphor of boxing, he's punching that thing in the face. And it is the sin living in him. This is what Christ is going to take away when we get our new bodies. We get rid of that old sinful nature. And all the thoughts that we have during a day, how many sinful thoughts do you have? You know, I was just driving down the road and all of a sudden one popped in my head. I was like, what? What am I doing? No. And I just, I had to buffet in my mind 
the thoughts that are there. Now, everyone's going to have those thoughts, but it's what you do with those thoughts. And, and you have to take those thoughts captive. So Paul fought a battle in order to be free, to be free to choose, to be free to have options. If you let the flesh control you, you are not free. If you let alcohol or drugs control you, you are not free. If you are under the law, you are not free. And Christ died to set us free. So in conclusion, or in this particular part, this is contrary to worldly wisdom. This is what I'm going to tell you. If someone was under the law, they were not free. If someone is born again, they are free to say no to sin. Now listen to this. The person who is the most free is the one who exercises the most self-restraint. Now I'm going to say that again. The person who is most free is the one who exercises the most self-restraint. You are able freely to say no. Where the sinful nature, you're not free to say no to the sinful nature. You have to do what that nature dictates. It's like a bird. What's its nature? To fly. What's the nature of an ant? To be in a colony and to pick up things and dead things and take it back to the colony and eat. What's the nature of bees? To fly and make honey. That's their nature. Everything has a purpose. Everything that has ever been created by God or by man has a purpose. And we have to recognize that. But we are not free if we're under those things previously mentioned. But if you have the ability of self-restraint and be able to say no and be able to self-direct, be able to have the self-control that the marijuana will prohibit or will inhibit, if you have that situation going on, well, you're not going to be free. And God wants us to be free. And First Peter chapter 2, verse 16 says, Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. So what's the problem with freedom? The freedom problem is you think you're free to do whatever you want to do. And me too. We think that I can do whatever. I'm free. Well, no. The freedom really comes in the ability to show restraint, to show self-control. Because under those other things, you have no control. Those other things are in control, whether it be the law, the alcohol, the drugs, the marijuana, the sinful nature. All of those things are what's in control. And Christ died to set us free from all of that. Now in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13, he goes on to say, You, my brothers, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. So this is supposed to be the focus. Instead of fulfilling the desires of the flesh, our own flesh, our sinful nature, whatever that might be, to pat our own lives and to make us all comfortable and, and doesn't, we don't have to worry about anybody else. God says, no, don't do that. Spend your freedom serving others. First we serve God, but then we serve others. And in serving others, that's how we serve God. Verse 14 says, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed or consumed uh, by each other. Let me explain this here. If you keep on biting, what this actually means, if you keep on thwarting, if you keep on intervening in somebody and making their life difficult and devouring each other, 
Now, when it says devouring or you will be destroyed, this word consumed um, that destroyed may be referring to, it's to take a piece for oneself. And so if somebody is in the church and you decide you don't like what they're doing and you get a bunch of people in your corner to go against that particular person as well, you're taking a piece for yourself. You're consuming each other is what he's talking about. It's like, I'm going to take that ear off of you and I'm going to eat that thing and I'm going to take your finger and your thumb and I'm going to devour that thing. And we, that's what he's referring to here, that you're actually cannibalizing those people inside the body. And he says, don't you use your freedom to indulge the flesh like this. We're supposed to serve and love each other, not backbite and murmur and complain and gossip, all of those things. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 28 says, A perverse man stirs up dissension, and a gossip separates close friends. Proverbs 18, verse 8, The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down into the man's innermost being. Now, I don't know what you consider a choice morsel, but if I have a steak that is medium rare and is thick and has just the right spices on top and it arrives at my table sizzling or I cooked it in the backyard and the juices are flowing down and I cut into that and I don't even need a steak knife. I'm just going to use a butter knife or my fork and you put that in your mouth and you taste that. That's a tasty morsel. That's what he's referring to here. Or maybe you think it's chocolate or candy. What The tasty morsel in the Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. What is it? Turkish delight. If you have Turkish delight and you take that and you... Mm, oh, it makes you gleek from the inside. You know what gleeking is or you salivate, that type of thing. That's a tasty morsel. Gossip is like that. No. Yes. Oh, let me tell you more. Tell me more. And you want to take it in. It's all oh, so satisfying on the inside. Mm, just wait till I tell somebody else. Give them this morsel as well. And God says, you know, don't be doing that. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 19. Gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid a man who talks too much. I wonder why it didn't say women. I, I'm just curious, but avoid a man who talks too much. I think it's probably just a generic type phrase in there. If you went to some of the newer versions where they changed the pronouns, you would probably see person. Don't hang out with a person who talks too much. You know, Scripture also says where there are many words, sin is not absent. And so somebody who just talks and talks and talks and talks is going to present to the other person some tasty morsels. And then that other person is going to walk away going, we had such a great conversation. Oh, it's so nice. I love talking to you. Let's go out for coffee. And you go, men don't do that. They say, hey, you want to hang out? Women say, let's go for coffee or tea. Anyhow, I move on. So this idea also of murmuring takes place inside the body. Now, I'm sure all of this was going on in the church in Galatia, but murmuring, if, if you look it up and try to give a description of what it is, it's uttering complaints in a low voice. Now, I'm going to do something fun maybe here. This is what I want you to do. Everybody at the same time, I want you to do this. Okay, ready? Count of three. One, two, three. 
That's murmuring. That's what murmuring is. If you go to somebody and you want to tell them something delicious and juicy and complain, that's what it is. It's just this low tone. It's kind of hidden. It's an undercurrent, kind of like a rip current that will take you out. And God tells us, do not murmur, do not gossip, do not backbite. But yet, if we have the freedom, I can say whatever I want. I'm a free individual. I have been born again in Christ. I can speak any word that I desire. And the Lord says, no. Our ability to be free is one that shows restraint and self-control. He goes on in verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. Oh, wait. Back up. I didn't get 16. So I say... Live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And this is what we just read in Romans chapter 7 by Paul. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So you guys getting the concept here? You, you are called to be free. Do not live by the Spirit. Do not be succumb or succumb to those outside forces and, and be ruled by them. The verse 19 goes on to say the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Now, why do you think he's pointing out the acts of the sinful nature? They have a problem with the acts of the sinful nature. That's why he's pointing it out. Paul, when he writes, he's very specific. You can tell what it is he's addressing by what it is that he writes. He goes on to say, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension of factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I'm just just i think i have time turn over to first corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 and if you want to hold your finger in that and flip over to ephesians chapter 5 you can hold your finger there and then we're going to have a couple more i'll just read to you but first corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 he's talking about the sinful nature here the practices of the sinful nature And they are deceptive, by the way. He says, do you not know, in verse 9, that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor swindlers, nor, excuse me, slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Ephesians chapter 5 in verse 3, beginning there through verse 5, it says, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, that's cussing, foolish talk, coarse, joking, dirty jokes, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this, you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and our God. So these things, obscenity, foolish talk, coarse, joking. Now, I like a good joke. A good, I, I like to laugh. I don't know about you guys. I read one yesterday, actually. There was this man. This man was out on the street, and all of a sudden this coffin shows up. 
And the lid of the coffin goes clap, 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 clap and starts chasing the guy. So the guy starts running and he gets all the way back to his house and he sees it pursuing him and he shuts the door and all of a sudden you hear this bang, bang, bang and the coffin breaks through and the door of the coffin, the lid of the coffin goes clap, clap, clap and it's coming for the guy and he runs upstairs, he gets into the bathroom, he locks the door and the coffin goes upstairs and it goes right to the door, busts down the door and the coffin comes in there and goes clap, clap, clap and it's coming for the guy. Guy didn't know what to do so he reaches for the medicine cabinet and he finds some cough medicine, he throws it at the coffin and the coffin stops. Now, see, I like a good joke like that. It, 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 like, warms the heart, doesn't it? But the coarse jesting stuff, you're not supposed to do stuff like that. You're supposed to remain far away. A hint to sexual immorality, all of these things, they are part of the sinful nature. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21 says this, I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity of sexual sin and debauchery in which they have indulged. And the same thing is written in Romans chapter 13 and 13 and 14. It talks about sexual immorality, debauchery, dissension and jealousy, all of these things. But if we look at the words that are listed here, and it's important that we do that, the first sexual immorality is pornea. It refers to illicit sexual intercourse, intercourse outside of marriage, adultery, homosexuality, lesbianism, intercourse with animals, which is bestiality, uh, with close relatives. Uh, it refers to sexual immorality with a divorced man or woman. Uh, metaphorically, it speaks of idols and pornography and all of those things. That's what pornea, sexual immorality, is referring to. It's a generic term for all sexual immorality, and that's the first one there. Now, I read this article. Uh, I actually told Patty about it, how there is a rise in STDs. You know, when I was in school and I took family living with Mr. Chapman, and Mr. Chapman did a, a great job in there, we found out about, and he goes, you're going to learn next week about VD. And we said, VD? What? I was a seventh grader. What? What is VD? Oh, I have no idea what that is. And we came back the next day and we found out it's venereal disease. Well, what's venereal disease? Today they call it STDs. And we had like three. You know, there was syphilis, gonorrhea, and I think herpes was there. You know how many are there now? 25 identifiable STDs. And these STDs, there's an increase from 2015 to 2019, 30%, 2.5 million Americans either have chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis infections in 2019. And chlamydia is up 61%. 61%. Now, it did break it down by some of the races. The black STD rate is five to eight times higher than whites. And among Hispanics, that figure is double that of whites. And these STDs, are, they're just, and it listed, I won't tell you all the cities, but San Diego is not one of them. Cities that are just really bad, that have high incidence in states, which states have this. <clears throat> and it's incredibly bad. And people think there's no consequence to being sexually immoral. And I found this one exposure chart that if 
you were to have sex with somebody else and you both had the same amount of partners, how many people you were actually exposed to? I think it was uh, C. Everett Coop who once said, oh, here, I have it. It says, when you have sex with someone, you are having sex with everyone they have had sex with for the last 10 years and everyone they and their partners have had sex with for the last 10 years. Did you catch that? And so the, your exposure, you think you're going to sleep with one person, whoever that person has slept with, you are getting whatever they got from somebody else, whoever they slept with, and continue down the line. And so, for instance, if you've had five partners, you have been exposed to 31 people. If you've had eight partners, you're exposed to 255 people. If you have had 12 partners, you are exposed to 4,095 people in anything they might have had. Now, imagine that. You think this is being taught? No. Being taught about, I don't want to be too explicit, but condoms and bananas. You know, that, that's what they're being taught in schools and that it's okay. And the Lord says no. So that deals with the sexual immorality. And God did this to protect us. To the, if you're free, you have the ability to say no instead of saying yes. Now, the second word, impurity, this really refers to a physical or moral uncleanness. It, it's just impurity and, and lustfulness or luxuriousness, a profligate living or impure motives. The third one there is debauchery or lasciviousness. It's unbridled lust. It's an excess. It is wantonness, it's outrageousness, it's shamelessness, it's insolence. It's just stuff that's way over the top. God says through Paul in Galatians that we're not to be debauched. Also idolatry, of course that's false worship. But for us it can be money, sex, power, sports, possessions. It can be even family. It can be a spouse or child. That type of thing. Then there's witchcraft. I brought this up in the youth. Witchcraft is the ancient word pharmakia, where we get pharmacy, which the modern day word for us is drugs. And those who are participating in drugs, uh, and the reason they call it witchcraft here is because the drugs open you up to the spiritual realm. And the spiritual realm is to be avoided because in that spiritual realm there are demons and Satan and all of his henchmen and they wish to influence. And so that, that's why they would call it witchcraft or sorcery or magic arts, so to speak. It, like the Native American Indians who take peyote in order to get into a trance to find out their spirit guide and that type of thing. That is, that's all demonic and we're supposed to stay away from that. And it's interesting, these first five things, if you do a study in the Greek and you can do it yourself, the first five words, it's almost like they all rhyme. If, you, if I was to tell you like Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers, it would be like that, but the Greek words come like that and they all end in an A and you're going, wow, why, why did Paul do that? It probably makes it easier uh, to remember. Then there is hatred, which is simply hostility. If you ever hear somebody say, I hate you, God says, don't. The person who hates his brother is really not forgiven. God will not forgive those who hate. And then there is Discord. Now, this is contention or strife or wrangling or being argumentative. Somebody who wants to constantly argue. Now, there are people who get saved, and once they come out of their sinfulness, 
there's a delay in becoming sanctified. There's a delay in learning all this. And so all the bad habits, they trail behind. And how, how long does it take to get rid of bad habits? Well, sometimes it takes decades. It's not just simply somebody gets saved and instantly they walk around and they glow because they're so pure. It doesn't work like that. So we want to make sure, as Paul's telling us here, we also examine ourselves to see if we have any of these uh, characteristics. Then there's jealous. Uh, those, <clears throat> this word jealous would be equivalent to a husband seeking to harm his wife's adulterous lover. The root word is either a boiling liquid or a glowing metal. So that's the type of jealousy that is there. Then there's fits of rage. Somebody who's hot-headed. Have you ever seen these... Uh, Videos where somebody just tries to attack somebody else and then they get pummeled. I have a sinful desire to watch those, I admit to you. I enjoy, I think it's a sinful nature. I should feel sorry for the individual, but it's the sinful nature going, you got what you deserved in that. And I guess that's the justice side, but I need to have mercy for them. I was always told I didn't have much mercy, so I watched those to try to change it. Anyhow, going on from there, the fits of rage, there's the selfish ambition. This is where there is selfishness or self-promotion. You put yourself out there as the end-all and the be-all, and everything is focused on you. Then there's the dissension or the idea of sedition or division or opposition or disagreements where you actually go in and you sow discord amongst friends. Then there's factions or heresies. Uh, heresies is just bad doctrine, bad information, and that's something that is of the flesh as well. And then number 13, there's 15 of them. There's 13, envy, and this is where uh, ill will is intended, and I think envy was the wrong word to use here. Have you ever heard both the words jealousy and envy? And you have. You've heard those. Jealousy takes a third party. Envy can be somebody, like for instance, you drive up in a new car and somebody says, I want that. That's envy. Or if you, uh, for ladies, if you've got a new hairdo and nails and you got pampered at the spa, another lady goes, well, I want that. Or a guy gets a new fishing boat, bass boat out there and the other guy's going, dude, I want that. that that's envy, okay? But when it comes to jealousy, Usually it is some man or woman that looks at a third person who is a rival and intends them harm. It's just the pursing of the lips and the steely-eyed stare with the daggers and that type of thing. That's what jealousy is. And this word for envy here, it would be better translated as jealousy. Uh, Like a woman who is jealous, considered a rival, hostile, a bitter person filled with petty resentment. A man who is jealous is considered insecure, petulant, grumpy, moody, huffy, snappish, controlling, or even wildly competitive. So that's the difference there between envy and jealousy. And by the way, Scripture says that our God is a jealous God. So how does that work? He's not jealous in a sinful way. And it's in reference to idolatry. He hates, he looks with daggers at the false religions, the false gods that are out there. And he's going to deal with them one day. He's jealous over you. 
And he wants you to be in fellowship with him rather than being with these false gods. Then there's drunkenness. Of course, we know what that is, being intoxicated. I already explained one example of that. And this last one here is orgies. And I don't think orgies is a good translation here. This is more of the reveling uh, or wassailing. You guys know what wassailing is. Here we go, a wassailing, a wassailing. You're carrying bowls of beer and you're drinking them. Ha, 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 ha. And you do pranks like at Halloween or something like that. I don't know if you did anything, egg something, you know. You're just kind of wild. Your NBA team wins and you get into the streets and you're pulling down light poles. That's what it's referring to here. And I don't think orgies really fits for this particular word. Uh, And it goes on to the fruit of the Spirit, but I'm running out of time here. I'm going to read it, but I'm going to come back to this next week. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, self-control is something that you have when you are free. If you are not free, you do not have self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified that sinful nature. Remember, you put that sinful nature down, you nail it to the cross of Christ, and it's in sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So obviously there was a problem inside the church of Galatia where they were getting into the flesh. And once they found they had freedom, imagine a Jew who had been under the law the whole time, had to observe all the festivals and the feasts and the diets and all of that. And all of a sudden he doesn't have to. And he goes, what else can I do? And, and starts heading out there. And so that's why Paul is saying, look, Show restraint, be in step with the Spirit. Don't go beyond what is taught. He says that in other places. And that's the encouragement to us as well. Crucify the flesh. Don't be mastered by anything. Make sure that you have control over your own desires. If there's a problem with the the ability to be self-controlled or make proper decisions, whether it's in you or someone you know, Just pray that the Lord will have his mercy and it will extend his unmerited favor in order that that individual can make proper decisions. And of course, it it follows that we always ask and we pray in a decision-making process. But Paul is giving us guidelines here and he has made the case already not to be a slave, that we are to be free. And so we are to act as free people. Remember, the most free people are the one who show the most self-restraint, the most self-control. My, pr- my prayer for you guys is that you will recognize this whenever you make decisions, that God gives you the ability to choose as believers. He has given you his spirit, and all you have to do is ask him. And he, like James says, he will give you wisdom beyond your years without measure where you can make proper decisions to benefit not only yourself, but everyone you know. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Apostle Paul, how insightful he was, how your spirit taught him as well, and how he knew the word back and forth, and he was able to disseminate it where we have it today, 2,000 years later. Help us to cling to this wisdom, Lord. Help us to say no to the flesh and the ways of the world. Help us not to be bound by anything. Help us to exercise our freedom. And we'll do so with your help. In Jesus' name, and everyone said.